passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the buck stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome, everybody, to Rewind a Dynamite. It is Wei Ting here with you. John Pollock has taken a much-needed break. I mean, those of you who might have heard him on Monday or throughout the week uh, know that he's battling a bit of a mystery illness right now, so he's just kind of resting his voice. He was very active on the website today, so if you want to check out his daily news update and keep up with his thoughts on everything that's been going on, do check that out. Uh, But joining us, Bruce Lord. Bruce Lord, welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. Oh, thanks very much, Wei. It's nice to be uh, back here, um, it occurred to me that, you know, we've seen a lot of replacements in wrestling over the last little while. We just saw Dustin fill in for Cody and even Serpentico filling in for Mark Quinn on Dark. But I think in my case, this me filling in for John feels more like Val Venus uh, filling in for Eddie Guerrero back in 2000. So huge, huge drop in work rate. Uh, but unlike Val, there will <laughs> not be any QAnon BS from my corner. So don't worry about that. Okay, maybe some maybe some uh, towels, you know. Maybe that's uh, we can't see beneath beneath the zoom, so I can only assume you are dressed like Val Venus. Uh, but welcome, welcome, of course, Bruce Lord. We love having you on these shows. We know you're incredibly well versed in the world of professional wrestling, and in, in particular AEW, as a fan of not just Dynamite, Rampage, but all the other dark shows as well. So really ple- uh, pleased to have you on, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on tonight's show. But uh, before we get there, I do want to throw some plugs out for all the shows that we've got on the website right now. Of course, today on our post daily news update, I had the chance to talk to both Andrew Thompson and Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics, getting the entire team together because we, we need an entire village to make up for a one John Pollock. But we, it, it was great to get Brandon and Andrew's takes on the MLW versus WWE lawsuit. Brandon doing some uh, tremendous uh, summarizing of the entire story for us. So I do encourage everybody to check that out at youtube.com slash postwrestling or if you're a cafe patron, directly in your postwrestling feed. Tomorrow at 1 o'clock in our usual daily update spot, in its place, we have a pre-recorded show from John Pollock's. You're, you're going to get your John fix as he will be joined by Ariel Hawani for the annual MMA prediction show. So they're going to go through all of their predictions from the past year. And we're going to see how Ariel did this year, along with, of course, our brand new predictions for this upcoming year. Tomorrow night on the YouTube at 8 p.m. Eastern, it is the worst of 2021 show. Uh, and that will be, of course, the complete antithesis of what we did last week. It'll be me, John, Braden, and Davey talking about the very worst that 2021 had to offer. 
And if you're listening to it, uh, you can look for that on Friday morning. We, of course, have the British Wrestling Experience coming back uh, with the show tomorrow night as well. On Friday, I want to give a special shout-out to the Up Next feed because I'll be joining the BDE to review the Lego Batman movie. So that'll be free for everybody, so look up for that. And then on the weekend, we have the Long and Winding Royal Road on Saturday with WH Park. And then on the Post Wrestling Cafe feed, free for everybody, is our very next edition of Postmarks. And how appropriate, uh, Bruce, that we have you on because you happen to be one of the co-hosts of Postmarks along with David, of course. Can you tell us a bit about this month's edition? Yeah, that's right. Um, This month, myself and David are going to be chatting with none other than uh, MJ from NJ, uh, somebody who has obviously been a major presence within the Post community since it began and and since before then and whatnot. Uh, And just, I think it's kind of serendipitous that there has been so much talk about WWE from the business side of things in the last couple of weeks, in the last month or so. We recorded this episode, uh, I don't know, maybe seven or eight weeks ago, something like that. Uh, So we're not entirely up to date with everything. But I feel like, you know, MJ, because of his background in business, which he talks about uh, with with David and myself, you know, he's somebody who can offer a really unique perspective on a lot of the issues that I think fans such as myself find interesting about the larger wrestling business. But, you know, we just lack the actual business acumen or terminology and whatnot that people like himself or Brandon Thurston do. Uh, So, yeah, we had a lot of fun talking with MJ and looking forward to finding out what everybody thinks of the show when it comes out. One of the uh, uh, most beloved members of the post wrestling and up next community is MJ from NJ and uh, great response to uh, the first two editions of postmarks that have come out. And of course that is a monthly show available for freed for free on the post wrestling cafe feed. So you can go go to patreon.com slash post wrestling and find the link there Saturday evening for it, or just simply subscribe and get it right to your devices. All right. With all that down, let's go to tonight's edition of AEW dynamite. This comes to us from rally North Carolina. And we start the show off with Adam Cole, Bobby fish, Kyle O'Reilly coming to the ring Adam Cole reminds us that he's never been pinned, submitted. He is undefeated in singles competition. And then he reintroduces the audience to Adam Cole and, or sorry, uh, Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. He says it's a new era in AEW. And out come Matt Nick and Brandon Cutler. Matt says he kicked COVID's ass in two days. And he apologizes for getting involved in the six man a few weeks ago with Red Dragon and, and Adam Cole. He is here to remind Red Dragon, and he does refer to them as Red Dragon, that their resolution is to go after the tag team titles. Red Dragon says that's funny because that's their resolution as well. Cole attempts to play peacemaker between the two. He says this friendly competition is what makes them the best faction, unlike the best friends. And cue the best friends, because they come out. There's not much talking as they stand off, and then we just escalate into a brawl. Adam Cole hits Orange Cassidy with a low blow, out comes Chris Statlander as she stands up to Adam Cole, but then here comes Britt Baker. She attacks Statlander from behind, curb stomps her, which leads, uh, and then she even proceeds to hold Orange Cassidy's head for Cole to superkick before Cole hits him with the boom. So uh, at this point, the Bucks are about to do their kiss to Adam Cole as Britt steps in the way <laughs> and gives her man the smooch instead. So they have officially paired on screen Britt Baker and Adam Cole. What do you think of the opening segment, Bruce? Yeah, it's it's canon now. Um, yeah, I mean it was a rare, you know, non-matched start 
to an episode of Dynamite and one that had a hell of a lot of moving parts. At one point, JR said, oh, you know, the ring's getting packed and he wasn't fooling. And as it turned out, that would really kind of be setting the setting the stage for kind of this whole episode uh, of Dynamite. Obviously, you know, the, the tension between um, Red Dragon and the Bucks is, you know, that that's a classic, classic feud that everybody is just salivating over. You know, they've got the Red Dragon tees and everything. Cole being in the, the the tricky position there. I like the fact it's, it was a subtle thing. I like the fact that the Bucks came out specifically when Cole called them the baddest team, you know, and then the Bucks are taking this personally, like, no, this is our, this is our territory. We run this. Uh, so I like that. Obviously the best friends are sort of just there to, you know, keep them focused on a shared opponent or a shared enemy right now. Personally, I'm a little bit burnt out on all of the Cole and Cassidy stuff right now, I would like to see Cole moving on to something else. But that said, if this is going to give us, as it seems to be, gives us Brit versus Statlander, I'm very, very into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we do have a, what is it now, five five on five situation between the best friends and the super elite, and it almost makes perfect sense to to do something like that. Almost makes you wonder if we'll get the 10, 10 man tag at some point, or if they can build to... A bigger stipulation, um, you know, like they do have war games, they do have stadium stampede. Those are pretty, pretty much far down the line, but uh, those those options are there. And I think for a little bit longer, if they could drag out this big elite group of both, you know, the undis- former undisputed era along with the Bucks, um, I I think it'll make for some really compelling matches against the best friends. Mm-hmm. I'm also lo- really looking forward to Statlander versus Baker, and this leads to next week the official. Um, mixed match tag here. We have between Statlander and Orange Cassidy versus Britt Baker and Adam Cole, which is a a very rare mixed tag. I'm, I'm trying to like think about the last time they might have done one of these. Uh, there was one on the Jericho cruise with Riho and Kenny. I feel as though there might have been one other one that was maybe on Dark rather than Dynamite. Uh, but it is something. I mean, I know it was something that, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, Tony talked a little bit about about like, oh, no, we'd be totally open to doing that or having intergender matches or whatever it might be, but that they have shied away from since. Oh, and of course, oh, the um, the Shaq and uh, Jade match as well. That is That's correct. the other one. That's the big one. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then the other one was Riho and Kenny versus uh, Penelope and Kip Sabian from the cruise that aired on Dark. So, um, you know, it remains to be seen if if this will be like WWE mixed tag rules. I can't imagine, you know, the men will, will be getting too involved with the women here. But it, in terms of story, it absolutely fits. I think, you know, just seemingly bolsters Adam Cole's um, surroundings and, and his death in, in AEW, by, AEW by surrounding him with, you know, two of the top tag teams and now the top female in the company by his side as well. So. I'm I'm loving the super elite, and I, I think Adam Cole continues to you know really increase his presence, and I think mm. it, it it adds a little bit to Britt Baker as well by having her you know now being paired with the top heel group as well. We get a little video about Wardlow, which leads us into CM Punk versus Wardlow. This is Punk's tenth match overall in AEW and his fourth singles match on Dynamite. Wardlow is doing a lot of classic, st- slower monster stuff early on. Some hard Irish Irish whips start him first into the corner from Punk, uh, to Punk, I mean. And then Punk is having a lot of trouble gain- getting Wardlow off of his feet. Wardlow eventually catches Punk's knee in the corner and hits a couple of power bombs, and then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth power bomb. Wardlow is about to pin Punk by standing on his chest, but MJF gets on the apron 
gets him to stop the count, and tells Wardlow he wants more. So then we get a sixth power bomb, and then a seventh power bomb. MJF at this point is just riling the crowd up. He directs Wardlow to power bomb Punk through the announce table, or through the timekeeper's table. And then Wardlow does just that, so we get an eighth power bomb through the table. There's a long ten count tease, but CM Punk ultimately makes it back. MJF tells him to powerbomb Punk again, and as Wardlow picks him up, Punk small packages him for the victory as he just proceeds to quickly roll outside of the ring and collapses. So, um, I wouldn't say there was much of a match here. I, this was more of an angle, but I thought it was overall simple and effective. What did you think, Bruce? It was, I mean, you're exactly right. Going into this, we knew how this was going to play out, right? That this is a vehicle for furthering the tension between Wardlow and MJF. Uh, and that's the real story here. That's the real, you know, feud that we're moving towards. Um, given that, I did find that it went a little bit long and started a little bit slow. Obviously, given the styles of the people involved and the story, it necessitated Wardlow kind of grinding away at Punk uh, for a good long while. So, uh, you know, I, I understood that. I mean, this has to be Wardlow's highest profile match, I think, since that Cody cage match. And given, you know, Punk's stature in the company, it's arguably a bigger match than that and his biggest one, even though it wasn't for a title. Um, You know, obviously they were in an interesting spot here and that Wardlow is beginning to generate a lot of sympathy from the crowd, not just because of the, you know, the harassment and abuse he's suffering from MJF, but just, you know, because powerbombing dudes dozens of times is cool and we like seeing that. Uh, So they were in a bit of a position where, okay, we can't really have the crowd cheering for him to repeatedly powerbomb the most popular wrestler on the roster. So you had to sort of kind of use some smoke and mirrors and three-card Monty and whatnot to put the focus back over to MJF, which uh, you know, absolutely makes sense there. Um, I also like the fact, and this is a, a, techni- a tactic that they've used a lot in AEW, is that you have the um, the leader or head of a heel stable often sort of asking their underlings to like just go out there and damage my opponent or my nemesis or the guy I'm going to be facing in a week. I don't care if you win or if you lose, just hurt him, just cripple him or her. And, you know, the the idea that wins don't even really matter. Obviously, that wasn't going to be the case here as MGF, MJF getting indignant in Wardlow's face was necessary to drive uh, the, the, the friction between them. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, for a pro wrestling angle and on a show that I think is more geared towards like the type of wrestling fan that has kind of seen every single wrestling angle under the sun. Um, this wasn't going to surprise anybody. I, I would say in execution and almost came across as a little too predictable and contrived, but I also sometimes give them credit for not trying to have, you know, outswerve us for the sake of doing so. Oftentimes the, the most direct solution, the most predictable solution is the right way of telling your story. And I kind of felt that way here. You know, they're, they're, I, it's, it's interesting to also note that they're not losing sight at all about what CM Punk is here for. Um, he's here, of course, to to bolster the the entire company. But, you know, when you have him face up a, a, against a guy who's a major top prospect like a Wardlow, ultimately his job is to make a guy like that look strong. And I thought they made Wardlow look plenty strong here in defeat. So uh, all the pieces are in the right place. You know, Punk gets a win towards uh, his belt with MJF. Wardlow has uh, a little more reason to turn on MJF in, in the future. And the segment kind of ends that way. You know, the crowd is very much pro Wardlow as he leaves the ring um, and MJF is pissed off. 
So I thought we would have maybe a bit more kind of kind of concrete, you know, uh, like uh, I I would say myself or or at least it seemed like the people in the audience tonight felt like tonight might have been the day that we actually got the turn. <laughs> um, and and they're gonna make us wait for it, which which I think is perfectly fine. I think calling back to Spears being the person who, you know, as his accountability buddy, uh, and trust me, I've seen a lot of Spears and Wardlow on dark matches over the past couple of months. Um, that sort of makes sense because it's just one other irritant, one other speed bump that MJF can sort of lob uh, in Wardlow's path to just stave off the inevitable for a little bit longer, right? And having that irritation, having the crowd, you know, just angry at MJF or at Wardlow, maybe even, uh, you know, for not reaching the breaking point you know that's that's heat they're building towards it right and we saw mjf go back to that again uh in his segment later on in the match again promising it and pulling it away uh i also wanted to shut up the chat room thank you very much raymond for uh bringing up another mixed tag that we forgot to mention that was chris statlander and orange cassidy versus the hardy family office the bunny and the blade from road rager uh in last year so there was that that as well our next match is Dante Martin versus Powerhouse Hobbs. And this match starts off with Martin just swarming Hobbs with a lot of high flying. Hobbs eventually catches him and hits a big spine buster on the floor to kill Martin's momentum. And then Hobbs just proceeds to destroy Martin. We come back from commercial. We get a bit of a comeback from Dante. Big missile drop kick. Springboard Torneal on the floor. Starks is about to, uh, Ricky Starks is about to interfere. But out comes Jay Lethal to stop him, to negate the advantage. Uh, Dante Martin then hits his nosedive and gets the win on Powerhouse Hobbs. It felt to me, Bruce, very similar to, to the template of match that we just had with Punk and Wardlow. But, you know, this one obviously with a bit more varied offense and a bit less heat I, too, I would say. Yeah, exactly. It, it did sort of occur to me that, you know, here we have, you know, just two absolute beasts just slowly, methodically grinding away at much slower opponents, or excuse me, smaller opponents, whom, you know, in a theoretically, you know, equal contest, they should be able to handily defeat. But, you know, it isn't to be in both of these cases. Um, I really, I mean, I'm, I've been enjoying Overall, where this uh, whole feud between Dante and his various pals and Team Taz has been going, there's been some stuff that has been a little bit kind of slow and erratic and they didn't quite hit the beats right. But I'm really high on both of these guys, Hobbs especially, I think, you know, we've seen a lot from Dante in terms of being able to get over as a single star. That said, I kind of, I would like to see, I feel as though I would like to see Hobbs come out on top. Uh, ultimately in this, if we ever get a proper blow off or whatever it might be, if only because I think there's a hell of a singles run in Hobbs as a face, and we can always have Dante pair back up with Darius later on down the line, whenever he's cleared to go as well. Yeah. The, the idea of like when powerhouse Hobbs will, I would say he, he's still very much like in sort of a, a supporting act role, you know, anytime team Taz sort of like, is facing off with with a baby face and they need a major win over somebody uh or if it's cm punk you know like needing a win on an undercard guy it's a guy like powerhouse hobbs so mm, i i'm certainly left wondering okay when are we going to you know get out of the starting blocks with this guy and actually go for it with with Mm -hmm. a push for him and maybe they deem that he's not ready yet maybe they deem that hey starks is that guy right now and we kind of have to maybe hook now is is even in line in front of (laughs) powerhouse hobbs and team taz but you know, the, the man, I think, has shown a lot of comfort. I've, I've loved his cockiness every time we get to see him perform. Um, and, you know, if they if they wanted to do it tomorrow, I think I think they could. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, I, I'm not this. I'm not very hot on this. You know, Dante Martin team Taz thing. I think it's just been going on for a bit long without too much um, movement. I don't know the status of Leo Rush right now. He seems there to is, have disappeared. There's Leo. There's Matt. So we now have Leo, Matt Seidel, and now Jay Lethal as kind of seconds or pals or partners for Dante, completely separate from his actual brother tag team partner who is still on the shelf. And it's just, it all just seems a little bit, you know, just a lot of hot swapping happening there. And I kind of feel like, you know, I mean, obviously Dante is young. We know that, you know, cutting fiery promos isn't necessarily his strong suit, not to say that he won't ever get there or anything, but he sort of just feels as though he's sort of, you know, like a little bit like a deer in the headlights while there are all of these, you know, kind of louder and larger personalities. Again, when you have people like, you know, Leo Rush and, you know, Ricky Starks and Jay Lethal, right? Like people who really have that immediate charisma, you know, I kind of feel like leaving Dante out there this much is maybe sort of, kind of leaving him looking a little bit bewildered what what are we ultimately ending up towards here between the this this dante martin team taz feud what what match are we looking at i mean that that that's a question like i like maybe dante versus starks possibly like i i the fact that as you're saying they haven't really ever pulled the trigger on any of the members of team taz being major major presences uh, or at least, you know, elevated into, you know, kind of main event status means that I don't really know, even if you are going to go with Dante, I don't know how much he gains because he has already, I you know, he's he's beaten Hobbs here and it didn't really feel like much of a, you know, elevation or whatever it might be. Uh, so, yeah, so I don't know unless, again, we have these other moving parts now like Jay Lethal and Leah Rush involved. It's it's tough to sort of see what the ultimate blow off or destination for this is. And again, things could maybe get more complex or clearer uh, if and when Darius returns. And is Hook at all a part of this? <laughs> I would, to be honest, Hook is such a phenomenon right now. I would kind of keep him clear of this. You can just have Hook continuing to murder dudes uh, on Rampage and building up viral fame accidentally, uh, you know, on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know you. I know you guys talked about it already yeah, on the news yeah. update this morning. But <laughs> my God, the, we've all seen the video. Oh, yes, amazing! Uh, all right. Well, uh, up next we got the inner circle backstage. They're cutting a promo as Eddie Kingston walks into the frame. He says he's going to be ringside tonight because he wants revenge on Daniel Garcia for attacking his knee. Eddie re- reiterates to proud and powerful what he wrote on Twitter, or I think what he said on an interview. I should say. Uh, that Jericho is the reason why they are not the tag team champions. Jericho says this is the big leagues. He doesn't care what happened in the streets of New York between them. Ortiz and Santana just refuse to be involved. They just want these two to 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 you know um, get get clear with whatever beef that they have with each other, and they're just going to step out of it. So Eddie and Jericho continue to uh, just get into each, each other's face. Jericho tells Eddie that you could be ringside for Sammy's match, but if you get involved, I'm gonna. I'm going to attack you. I'm going to beat you up, is what he basically says. Did you notice Jericho's unfortunate Freudian slip there with, we promised to take over this country, which just couldn't help but remind me of some of his wife's activities. Wait, wait, wait. We promised to take over this country. He said that. I mean, mean, promised to take over this company or promised to, (laughs) but he said take over this country first. (laughs) That's unfortunate, just, you know, this close to January 6th. But hey. promised to take over this country. Interesting. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it wasn't, wasn't a, 
a slip at all. He does say at the end of this promo, GFY, which um, I feel like would be pretty self-explanatory. You thought about it. Okay, <laughs> we got to MJF. <laughs> yeah, is GFY gonna gonna be a chant? You think? I, I can't. I don't know if I'm gonna see that one getting over. But yeah. I do. I do like Eddie here in this kind of just constantly irritated role even when people are theoretically there to assist him or assist his friends he's never happy about it he's just ornery he wakes up on the wrong side of the bed every morning and we know right that that is something that kind of dogs eddie kingston's own real life right it's what he was writing about in the players tribune piece you know just even when i have a good match i'm pissed about it and i don't think i've done well enough with it having a little bit of that just anger and neurosis in you know, his, his, his on, on-screen character is great for me. MJF then comes out. He's pissed off about the Wardlow thing. He comes out screaming very passionately. He says Punk got a fluke, fluke victory over an oaf tonight. And he's going to make sure Punk takes his first L in AEW next week. And he's going to give him the match that he's been looking for. The match that everybody has been looking for. CM Punk versus Sean Spears next week. So that's a classic in the making, making years in the making, right? As soon as, as soon as punk jumped over, you know, just dream opponents had to have the chairman on on that list there. From, from the get go of him, like storming out here, just like all flustered and like him, like building up to this, like big reveal. Uh, I thought MJF was great here. Oh yeah. He was great when like, you know, he did the Wardlow reveal and then um, now like an even less spectacular match, (laughs) like in Sean Spears. I thought it was very funny. Even when he's legitimately mad at both punk and Wardlow, he can't help, but just troll the audience because that's just what he was put on this earth to do. So yeah, great stuff. The super elite are backstage as Adam Cole brings in Britt Baker they challenge, this is where they challenge Statlander and Orange Cassidy to the mixed tag next week. And they call him Brandon Butler this time. Hangman Page walks out. He talks about spending 90 minutes in the ring with Brian Danielson, and the title is still around his waist. Records have been reset, and he now needs a new challenger. So out comes Dan Lambert. Lambert is actually here to put Page over. He commends him for not taking shortcuts to the championship like Cody did. Lambert says that Page has earned everything in his career, everything with the exception of his cowboy persona. He tells them to stop disrespecting the cowboy legacies of people like Dick Murdoch, Stan Hansen, and Bill Watts, and then even says that Page is full of cowboy shit. Page challenges Dan Lambert to a fight to just find out how much uh, of a cowboy he is, and Lambert says, "Uh, no, no thanks, I'm about to leave. But then out comes Lance Archer making a return i feel like when was the last time we saw him when he took that horrific concussion injury uh in the botched moonsault from kingston Mm. uh about i think it was end of october it was interesting because he showed up technically on new japan strong about a month later uh in attack with suzuki against um against kingston and moxley Uh, but that match had been recorded like five weeks previous to that airing so yeah this is the first time he's been back since that really really scary looking um moonsault spot so yeah i got really excited about this they're putting him right to work i mean you know i would say last time we saw him he felt like he was a baby face was he not he always kind of walks the line you know he's he's you know throwing guys from backstage uh out ahead of him when he comes out on dark i think he was technically well he was fighting kingston so i I can't quite remember but he's you know he's, he's big he's a monster 
it's easy enough to reset him either way. He can be both either way, but, you know, here he comes out attacking, looking like he's about to attack Lambert, um, but then at... I don't know if you took this the same way I did, but like it was almost at Lambert's encouraging that like, hey, you're don't attack me. You're in the ring here with the champion. Take your opportunity. <laughs> and then that's what seemed to change Archer's mind as he attacks Paige instead. Or do you think Archer came out with the intent to attack Paige the whole time? I mean, the fact that he isn't coming out there with Jake is, I mean, maybe, you know, it's a run-in. So, you know, Jake's not going to be able to make his way down the ramp uh, as fast as Archer did. So they could be pointing towards something... Um, with, um, uh, sorry, with 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 Lambert there. Um, the fact that Lambert sort of also acknowledged the fact that, oh yeah, Archer beat me up, you know, a few months mm. ago back when he was in there. And that I just like the idea that like Lambert was smart enough to have like clear logical reasons as to why you shouldn't kick my ass, you should kick this other guy's ass. Mm. Like just the fact that like Lambert, Yes, he's, I mean, he's fantastic at riling up the crowd, but there's always just enough of a little, little kernel of truth, enough of a fly in the ointment to make you go, he's not entirely wrong about anything that he's saying there, right? And I thought he did a really good job in complimenting Paige in a pretty straightforward, incredible way before beginning to kind of chip away uh, at his persona there. So, I mean, whether Lambert is involved or not, I think this is a really, really great next opponent for Page, if Page is going to be the first sort of, you know, entirely homegrown, more or less 80% homegrown, let's say, AEW champion who isn't, you know, getting uh, a title based on, uh, you know, earlier work and an existing reputation, if he is the kind of the from the ground up champion, you want him to have a series of title defenses and title matches against a real range of opponents, right? And it doesn't get any more further away from a Brian Danielson match than a Lance Archer match does. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, yeah. In terms of styles, I mean, I think Archer is a perfect, you know, follow-up opponent for Paige to, I, you know, for a first title defense to be against Brian Danielson, that's like, that's a lot, you know? Like a series, <laughs> a 90-minute war with like, or a 60-minute plus a 30-minute uh, war with Brian Danielson. So I think we're at the point now where we need to give Paige some strong wins, and I think Archer is perfect for it. He's big. He looks mean. You know he'll make a he'll be able to tell a strong under underdog story with with an opponent like that. So where do you think this match will will occur? I mean, we might be able to get to it by Revolution. I think we're we're what? How many weeks away from Revolution are we? Yeah, I, I'm thinking we definitely get this before Revolution. Revolution is mm-hmm. probably not till uh, it looks like here. Uh, well, sometime I believe it's it's is it March sixth? Uh, March sixth. Yeah. yeah, yeah, might so. be a bit of a push. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a, that beach break show coming up, and uh-huh. you know who knows? Like maybe they'll decide to to do it uh, on a random edition of of Dynamite. But uh, yeah, so that is uh, seems to be the the next challenger for for uh, Adam Page's championship. In the back we go with Arn Anderson. He is with his son Brock and Lee Johnson of the Nightmare Family, and he says he can smell it. He can smell it here. <laughs> it is Horseman Country. And out comes Tully Blanchard, who agrees, yeah, you can really smell it here. It smells like horseman country. FTR follows, of course. Tully tells Arn to leave his son and Lee Johnson and go join them. FTR says that we're more of your sons than Brock Anderson can ever be. So they challenge Brock Anderson and Lee Johnson to a match next week for the right to be Arn Anderson's son. Yeah. I mean, physically, obviously, Brock, you know, is just has everybody beat because it's a 
eerie, eerie, eerie resemblance between him and his father. But yeah, I like this. I mean, you know, obviously having, you know, Arn and Tully face off against each other is a, you know, that, that's perennial. You can go back to that whenever you want. But yeah, Dax's line about like, you know, if you really want to impress the man who wishes I was his son was just, oh, that's that's just some good, good knife twisting there. Um, I have to say, I really am still quite high specifically on Lee Johnson. Um, his and Brock's matches on dark have been relatively short and we haven't seen a whole hell of a lot from Brock, but the odd time when we have seen Lee get a little bit more time, uh, whether it's in tags or in singles matches, there's a hell of a lot of upside there. So uh, a little bit of a higher profile match for him is, is welcome in my book. Is, is this going to be, you know, just an FTR win. Are are we leading to anything more with with Brock and, and Lee Johnson in terms of story? You think? I mean, you could have. I mean, they've, like I said, they've been pairing together for a while. Uh, we have this, you know, as of right now, relatively stable unit in the larger Nightmare family that hasn't really, apart from you know <laughs> Cody's tweenerness, uh, really been shifted up or changed too much. I don't think there would be anything especially wrong about having either. Uh, Johnson or Brock break away. Like I think, like I said, there's loads of upside for Johnson, either as a heel or as a face. And God knows there's plenty of stables for him to join. And at some point down the road, having Brock sort of, you know, break his father's heart, you know, and turn to the dark side and move away from strong fundamentals and spine busters and things like that, you know, there could be something there as well. So yeah, I I think you need to, you know, FT, I mean, you can have a competitive match, but I think FDR has to take it. Yeah. We see a little video about Jade Cargill's TBS title win last week as we lead into Hikaru Shida versus Serena Deeb. This is the first meet, fourth meeting between these these two, uh, and it starts off with Shida walking down the ramp and Deeb attacking her from behind with a kendo stick, specifically the knee. And the rest of the match is exactly. Uh, what you would expect here. Sheeta reluctantly, well, uh, uh, bravely, I, w- I should say, uh, or stupidly, maybe, <laughs> agrees to start the match despite the knee injury, and the rest is all Deeb beating her up, focusing on this knee, slaps Sheeta into the serenity lock, and the referee stops the match. And, you know, this is their way, of course, uh, and we just reviewed, uh, uh, by the way, everybody, rewind away, because Stone Cold said so. Bruce, did you ever watch this VHS tape? I think I might have at a friend's house, he might have been able to get his mitts on the VHS in 96 or 97 or something like that. Little bits and pieces of it, uh, as you guys were talking about. I haven't listened to the entire episode, but I listened to most of it today. And little bits and pieces of it sounded vaguely familiar to me. Remember, there was also that great bit um, of him talking with, um, oh, geez, I'm sorry, my mind's blanking, the music composer. Uh, There was a whole extended... Uh, yeah, of him kind of like upbraiding Jim Johnson for saying, well, yeah, you wrote my music, but you didn't actually do too much with it. I do like the whole like Stone Cold kind of in a meta way talking about his own character and everything. Yeah, I, I don't particularly remember that that section of it, but I'll take your word for it. I mean, the rest of the VHS is very much like that. It's just like Stone Cold Steve Austin in the midst of like his 97 completely anti-hero run. Uh, just like talking shit about everybody and narrating the highlights of his first year of, of the Stone Cold character. So it was very entertaining. I encourage everybody to go and check that out. But I bring that up because there's a specific focus on that VHS on uh, WrestleMania 13, which might be the most famous referee stoppage of all, you know, of, of a man stuck in a uh, submission hold and refusing to tap out and then having the ref ultimately stop it. And that's the uh, the, the attempt that, that I, th- I think they gave here to Kawashita to protect her. She did not tap out. 
She is pissed off that the ref stopped it afterwards. But uh, here comes Serena Deeb continuing to attack with the kendo stick. As this feud continues, Bruce, into a, a fifth match. What do you think? I figured that we were going to be going to a rubber match, a fifth match, when this one was announced. I didn't expect it to be definitive. I thought we'd maybe get a little bit of more actual in-ring competitive action before uh, this one went to to an inconclusive finish. But I mean, I like the way that this story and feud has been spun out and built. It started as... Uh, both women blaming the other for costing them a title opportunity. But over the past few months, that whole originating incident has been kind of, you know, that's just kind of lost to the sands of time. These two women just hate each other, want to cripple each other, are willing to do anything in order to get a modicum uh, of revenge. I like the fact that it is, it just does feel like a blood feud, like something that, doesn't have anything to do with the title. Feels entirely personal. I thought the uh, the deep promo or sit down with Jr. Uh, at the end uh, last week or whenever that was was really good. Deep sort of saying, "I did exactly what I said I was going to do." As the refs are admonishing her and you know asking her how she could do something so horrible. I thought all of that uh, worked out really well. Um, so yeah, obviously disappointing in the short term, I suppose. And you could hear a little bit of smattering of booze from the crowd over over the stoppage. But you know, I. I think really the only question now is what sort of stipulation are we going to see for the big blow off? Like last woman standing cage match. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you that because I'll be honest. I I wasn't too excited when I saw that this match was happening for a fourth time. Typically AEW doesn't do a whole lot of rematches and for a series to go to a fourth match in a relatively short amount of time, I thought was a bit peculiar. Uh, of course, you know, they use the fourth match to set up an angle for a big fifth match. And I would have to think to make it different, they are going to do some sort of uh, stipulation. Could it be a submission? Did they do submission? No, oh, right? I can't remember now. I don't think one of them was a was a either a no DQ. I think one of them was no DQ, but I don't think it was submission. I could okay. be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just something to kind of, you know, uh, uh, vary it up a little and, and to give this feud some finality, Yeah, you know. I think is in store. So uh, they're building to, I mean, these two have great chemistry and, and if, if it means, you know, we get one more of it and perhaps even the, hopefully the best one with an interesting story attached, then I'll, I'll be for it for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Jurassic Express and Christian are in the back and Christian, um, you know, takes the opportunity to wish Ray Phoenix. Well, they need new challengers and they open the opportunity for any tag team in the top five to uh, come and get their title shot. So then here comes Silver and Reynolds, and we get a title match on Rampage this week. Simple as that. Yep, fair enough. You know, it's uh, always fun to see Silver's actual in-ring, regardless of what you <laughs> people have differing opinions about the whole Johnny, Johnny Hungy persona. But, you know, his in-ring is always enjoyable. And, you know, it gives uh, Jurassic Express, you know, just something to sort of keep themselves occupied. I know, obviously, there's a lot of talk about what the finish of the match or, you know, last week would have been had there not been the injury and would we be going to a rewind with the the Lucha brothers? Who knows? Uh, But this is perfectly fine right now as a kind of a a placeholder feud. Speaking of the Lucha brothers, we have uh, Matt Hardy versus Penta up next on the show. This was not one of the matches that they announced beforehand uh, from what I recall, but uh, we are in North Carolina rally, North Carolina to be specific. And Matt Hardy's family is ringside here. Rebby along with the kids, Hardy says that he's going to put Penta in the hospital next to his brother. So they start the match off and we do a Sierra Miedo standoff with the delete chant. 
Hardy controls throughout a commercial break. Penta then comes back with a double stomp in the corner for two. Penta then does a takes a side effect on the apron. Matt then hits a big moonsault press, which we rarely see, I feel, these days from Matt Hardy. Uh, but Penta evades it. Penta then capitalizes on this and hits the fear factor for the win. What do you think of the match, Bruce? Not much, to be honest. Um, I think like a lot of people, I'm feeling pretty burnt out on Matt Hardy. Uh, initially, when the whole Hardy family office uh, stable started, I was sort of thinking, okay, well, you know, if, if this is more about Matt Hardy uh, being put in a position to elevate people like private party, you know, that's fine. But there hasn't really been much of that. We got a little tease that that might be happening a little bit later on uh, in today's episode. But yeah, you know, I just sort of feel like we've seen, you know, Matt Matt can still, you know, wrestle a match, but it's not as though it's, you know, uh, the real sort of lights out style that you associate with him. And as a partner for somebody like Penta, who has, you know, when he's, you know, in there under the right circumstances has such an intense, such a brutal, but also charismatic sort of style. This one just kind of fell flat for me, I have to say. I agree. I thought the match was pretty average, certainly by AEW standards. It, it felt like something for the hometown crowd, you know, just to kind of give that, um, you know, Matt Hardy singles um, spotlight. Um, it was a chance for Matt Hardy to wrestle in front of his family, but I think in his on-screen appearances, it, it, it is starting to feel further and further that he, you know, like the thing is, I, I, I don't even want to say that he's like not necessarily of like the AEW standard because we see Sting and they do plenty with Sting. You know, there's a spot for Matt Hardy on the show, I'm sure. But whatever it is, it, it doesn't seem to be as as part of this Hardy family office. I'd be con- interested to know, and just if you could want to prorate it or adjust it, his in-ring time versus Christian's in-ring time. And I'm not saying that because I want, because they've, they've kind of kicked the tires on that feud and I don't need to go back to that necessarily. But, you know, when you have Christian in there, it's very clear that, okay, look, this is somebody who is really, really, you know, helping, I think, a lot of the younger talent get experience in a certain sort of uh, pace and style of match that maybe they haven't been accustomed to working on smaller independence and, you know, more quote indie style sorts of matches. And there's a real tremendous value, I think in someone like Christian sort of uh, leveling up and smartening up uh, some of the younger talent in terms of uh, in-ring work there. But I mean, I feel as though we've seen Hardy, you know, maybe 50% more uh, than, than Christian and yeah, just, you know, a lot of walk and brawl, a lot of, you know, mm. n- n- nothing really exciting. We get into perhaps the most newsworthy event coming out of this show as Penta with Alex Abrahantis sends a message to Malachi Black. The lights go out and Malachi Black shows up. Alex and Penta are immediately taken out with kicks as Malachi starts ripping off Penta's mask. Out come the Varsity Blondes. They're all attacking Black. But then... Little young Julia Hart comes up onto the apron and tells them to stop. Black starts laughing. He starts to count the bodies in the in the ring. One, two, three. This crowd is already chanting for it. As the lights go out again, they come back on, and there is Brody King. Uh, he takes out all three of the male members that are in the group uh, in the ring. Uh, the uh, Excalibur identifies him as a former Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. And he and Black stand tall as they leave the ring. What did you think of Brody King's debut? I mean, it was exactly the sort of just, you know, 
total destruction of anybody and everybody who happened to be uh, in the ring that you would expect somebody with the physical presence of Brody King to have. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with the name that Excalibur was giving them there, the, the Kings of the Black Throne. Sure, that's fine. You know, sounds like, you know, one of the like, you know, black and death metal bands that, you know, we know that uh, Malachi Black is into. Uh, so yeah, it's, no, it's I know Knights of the, of the Nephilim. Or, or whatever <laughs> heels of the nephilim the yeah heels of the of nephilim. Nephilim. yes yeah 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 but you know hey it's, it's 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 in the same it's in the same ballpark there um i was really wondering again to kind of go back to the question about the lucha brothers the tag matches and phoenix's injury i was really wondering if the plan was uh you know to have black and king specifically attack phoenix uh excuse me phoenix and penta um but, you know, given the injury, we sort of have to do a bit of a rewind with the Varsity Blondes, which is fine. You know, that's that's perfectly OK. Brody King is just going to massacre those two pretty boys. And that's that's fine. I do have to say I'm a little, little, little bit concerned uh, about Julia kind of wanting to kind of beg off or asking them to stop uh, attacking Malachi. I really, really, really hope we are not going into some sort of hypnosis she has fallen under the svengali like spell of malachi black oh the mist has corrupted her sweet innocence so i really 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 don't need that uh you know we just had the return of that on raw this monday and uh, no no thank you i i would be curious to see like how an AEW would handle a, a similar type of character it would be quite the visual dynamic of seeing you know these two giant tattooed men and then Julia Hart as like, you know, um, like a valet of theirs. And um, I mean, ultimately, I, 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 I don't know, like what they intend on Julia Hart's um, um, future being in the company. Do they want to keep her as a valet? Or I imagine they would ultimately want to make her uh, an in-ring competitor. Is oh, she's this... been working matches on Raw. Or excuse me, on Raw, on Dark, excuse me. And, and and is this a vehicle to get her, you know, uh, more of a, a singles character, just that she, that'll make her special, perhaps? Um, I I'm willing to like, you know, at least give it a chance if that is indeed the the direction. But I, I mean, I thought we were going to go with the House of Black. What what happened to that name? I mean, they said the 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 newest member of the House of Black. So I don't know. Maybe the Kings of the Black Throne are just the tag team within the larger house. I don't know. I don't know. You know, again, Malachi Black seems like the sort of dude who's given a lot of thought to the larger mythos and mm-hmm. world uh, that he's sort of building up uh, around him. And obviously, in the kind of uh, the post um, post departure interviews, we got a little bit of a taste of what that might have looked like in the WWE. I mean, hell, even the um, the T shirt, the most recent House of Black T shirt that has the house rules on the back seems like you know kind of like flavor text or lore for you know some dark souls video game or rpg or something like that up next we've got uh in the back we've got Layla hirsch red velvet and chris statlander they're being interviewed statlander is asked about the Britt baker mixed tag challenge which she of course accepts and Layla hirsch takes offense to this she says it's kind of selfish of you to take a match when we have a six band tag on friday so Layla Hirsch and Chris Stantlander bicker a bit back and forth, and we have to find out on Friday, can these tag partners get along? Hirsch actually said Saturday, which confused me. I was like, oh, geez, has Brampage been uh, preempted for Saturday? I, I don't think it has. 
Yeah, I don't think so. It depends um, on the time zone, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, this is something that's been percolating over on Dark. The idea that Hirsch is starting to get a little bit kind of like, you know, cocky, big for her britches, uh, wants, you know, kind of selfish pins uh, in exactly the same way that, you know, somebody like um, Spears has been over Wardlow. Uh, so it's, you know, pointing towards a, theoretically a, a full heel turn for her. Uh, we have next the acclaim taking on Bear Country. Uh, Max Caster comes out. He calls out Darby and Sting in his raps. I, I didn't think there were any notable lines uh, of his that were memorable enough. Did you, Bruce? There was the Novak Dojovic, you know, line about, you know, you'll, you know, you get no shots like Novak Dojovic. I was expecting a Kodak Black reference. I'm going to be honest. I feel like, you know, that man gave us, um, uh, well, a, a hell of a lot yesterday. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised. Please update us. Didn't... I'm not aware of what happened. Oh, you have. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, mm. I mean, I'm I'm not up on all of the you know the modern hip hop that the young kids are into anymore. Way that that ship has long since sailed for me. Uh, but apparently, Mr. Black is a, a rapper of some repute, um, mm-hmm. and was at a oh I can't remember which NHL team it was. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, but point being, he was uh, in the VIP box. He was very prominently displayed on the camera. And then I don't know, maybe maybe the hockey game just wasn't uh, entirely okay. entertaining. And so uh, he and a female companion. <laughs> decided to engage uh in some non-hockey related activities in full view of an entire hockey stadium so holy shit i just there you go right now there we go (laughs) i I thought the hook uh, the hook video was gonna be the most scandalous thing i was gonna see uh today but goddamn okay not uh not safe for work warning everybody if you're gonna google (laughs) a kodak kodak black nhl carolina uh, panthers danny says in the chat thank you very much danny okay yeah yeah I, i i haven't been to a hockey game in quite a while so um I don't know how entertaining um, <laughs> they are these days, but okay, very interesting. <laughs> um, Caster gets the win with the mic drop. I'm sorry, I missed most of this match because I had a <laughs> hell of a time trying to catch up on my notes. So, how is this, Bruce? If you caught it, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. A lot of it happened in picture in picture uh, as well. Uh, I'm a big fan of both of these teams' actual in ring work, especially Bowens. I think that Bowens is really one of the more um, underrated and very solid and versatile in-ring workers who hasn't really been given a lot of shine. Uh, and again, you know, as one of those sickos who watches every single episode of Dark, shout out to Kate, uh, I really liked seeing both of these teams get a little bit uh, of a spot on Dynamite. So, you know, yeah, not going to set the world on fire, but just, um, you know, a, a good dynamic between the teams, right? The visual difference between them. I like the fact that uh, the acclaimed didn't technically cheat. You know, they didn't, you know, smash either the bears with the boom box or grab the tights or anything like that. It just sort of seemed like, oh, they were just being a little bit more crafty, a bit more clever. They just outmaneuvered, uh, you know, some larger, slower opponents. So I like that. They mentioned that the acclaimed are the number one ranked tag team uh, at the moment. Um let me just kind of double check that. And yeah, that looks to be the case right now as far as the 2022 rankings go. So uh, it looks like they are being teed up for the Jurassic Express. And the, the announcers almost kind of tease that the winner of the Friday match might be, go on to face the acclaim. But then out comes Sting and Darby Allen. Sting does this slow walk down the ramp with his bat. Meanwhile, Darby charges from the other way, head first into everything, just completely dismantling the acclaimed. Um, and then, of course, you know, despite all the death-defying moves from Darby Allen, the biggest pop is from the Scorpion Death Drop. So it it looks like we're going to get Sting and Darby Allen versus the Acclaimed first. 
And it seems not only that, but it's sort of the way the announce team was talking about it, sort of suggesting, oh, Darby and Sting, not just kind of in special one-off tag matches, but as a regular ranked tag team that could possibly have tag team gold, uh, you know, in their sights, which I'll admit this. I, I was completely wrong about this. Uh, I remember, I think, calling into one of the shows and sort of saying, uh, I don't know, you know, this, this whole Sting thing is going to be overshadowing Darby. He's going to have to break from him. Obviously, we know that Sting won't be able to keep up in the ring with any of these younger competitors. So where is this all going? And Sting has made me completely eat my words. So, you know, as much as, you know, if a year ago you'd said to me, oh, you know, Sting might be in the running for a tag belt, I'd say, this is terrible. This is disastrous. What the hell are you doing? They've shown that, you know, there are ways of working Sting into matches and him being able to hold his own in those matches. So yeah, I'm, I'm fine with this match going ahead and I'm fine if they decide to one day move towards a, you know, Sting and Darby versus, you know, Jurassic Express or whoever it might be. The scene we saw to close the show last week, uh, of course, had all the tag teams come out to the stage and throughout the arena to essentially kind of, you know, um, show that they are all in contention now with brand new records and a brand new set of champions. They're all going to be in contention. They'll all be going after the Jurassic Express's uh, title belt. And already we've got, you know, of course, uh, what is it? The Dark Order here. We've got uh, uh, um, uh, the Acclaimed, of course, in line. Sting and Darby Allen potentially might be a team. We've got the House of Black forming. So um, do you think we, you know, throughout the the course of, of these early weeks in the year, early months of the year, are we going to have a number of concurrent tag team storylines going for the Jurassic Express or do we ultimately focus on on one? I think I think you could see kind of like a little quick sequence of them, right? We saw with the Dark Order one how relatively straightforward and easy it is for that sort of a match to be set up. I think there is a real conscious interest in trying to sort of give Jungle Boy some more reps in terms of mic work. We all know that that's sort of, you know, if he is going to be one of the four pillars, if he is going to be a main event star in five or seven years or whatever it is, that's something that is, you know, going to need to kind of be leveled up a little bit. So having him, you know, kind of bounce off a number of opponents and possibly having one of them ultimately defeat uh, Jurassic Express in the next two or three months makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I should also note here, I feel like Marco Stunt is really conspicuous by his absence. He hasn't been seen on Dynamite or Rampage or even Dark, again, as one of those weirdos who watches it all. He hasn't had any matches there, hasn't been coming out uh, with them for a good number of months at this point. So just, I don't know, just just throwing that out there. Yeah, um, I believe there's something in The Observer this week about uh, Marco Stunt's contractual status, saying that he is still under contract. But uh, who knows? You know, we are definitely up at the point where a number of those early AEW contracts are up for expiration. So perhaps we we look towards, you know, um, somebody like Marco Stunt's future in the weeks to come. Uh, we have a video from Pac. Pac, uh, it's, you know, these are all very well done. Anytime we see Pac doing one of these. And of course, last time we saw Pac, he was blinded in both eyes this time by Malachi's mist. He, it, it's a whole video where he talks about, you know, now that he's blinded, he sees everything. His perspective is different and his vision is clear. So seemingly... Um, lining up more contenders for Black and, and King, or 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 is this something else? What do you think, Bruce? I think it has to be a, a singles, you know, kind of grudge match with Black. 
maybe with the idea of being in some sort of, you know, Satoishi the Blind Swordsman or, you know, Ninja Scroll sort of way. Maybe Pac actually tries to wrestle it semi-blind or whatever it might be. Uh, I hope we don't have a blindfold match. Those are always terrible. Uh, maybe he's like Daredevil and his other senses are heightened. Maybe he'll yeah, smell, yeah. smell his you way know, to the ring. He, he's holding up the Justice tarot card, you know, Justice being blind uh, and all mm. of that. I also really enjoyed, he started this off by speaking, you know, as a hypothetical doctor who is telling him that his vision might never return. And he says, I'm sorry, Mr. Bastard, your sight may never return. I just love the idea of like surname bastard on this man's medical records when he walks into a medical examiner's office or whatever it is. Just, uh, yes, you know, like a uh, PA calling for him. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, uh, so, but yeah. yeah. Black has a lot of irons in the fire here, right? He has mm-hmm. dates with Penta, the Varsity Blondes, and now Pac, apparently. Yeah. So this is when we get a roll call of everything that's about to come out. So on Rampage on Friday, we've got the six-woman tag. We've got Spears versus Andrew Everett. We've got a special look at Thunder Rosa versus Mercedes uh, um, uh, uh, Martinez. And then, of course, we have Jurassic Express versus the Dark Order. Did I miss something else? I feel like I might have missed one. I feel like they announced a couple of things for Dynamite as well. I was trying to keep up with my notes, and then that just, like, all ran by incredibly fast. I have no idea what's happening next week. So, again, it's it's, it's a whole – like, tell me, Bruce, because most of the time you watch these shows, you're not taking notes. I I imagine tonight was was a bit different because you had to take notes or at least, you know, watch close enough to to be able to comment on it. Was the experience different for you? And and did you prefer like is it usually is the pace of dynamite usually an issue for you when you're not taking notes? I would say 80 percent of the time I am okay with it, but I do think there are some times when you should have a little bit of breath being given specifically to my mind. And I know I'm not the first to say this specifically after the page Danielson match, right? That was such an incredible piece of work from both men, just the visual of both of them covered in blood, this, you know, actual incredibly important moment. Maybe, you know, it it almost felt like it was more important than the actual title win you know, for, for Hangman Page than the, than the victory over Kenny Omega in some ways. And that's saying something. I just wanted, you know, 20 seconds of just kind of like some panning wide camera shots of this man in the ring, bloodied, but holding the belt with, you know, one of the greatest pro wrestlers any of us will ever see having to sort of sulk away in defeat. Just, just let that sit for 20 seconds or something like that, rather than immediately smashing uh, to the next backstage promo. So on Rampage next week, they have announced the, of course, mixed tag match between Orange Cassidy and uh, Chris Stantlander versus Britt Baker and Adam Cole. We've got CM Punk versus Sean Spears, Serena D versus Sky Blue, the return of Cody Rhodes, and Sting and Darby Allen versus The Acclaim. So that's happening next week. Matt Hardy is interviewed in the back. He's in a bit of distress after losing his match. He needs something to change. But out comes Andrade, who tells Matt Hardy to focus. Mad Hardy, you're a businessman. We both love money. Let's negotiate a deal. So, um, you know, it, it makes me wonder, because I remember last week, it was a line that really got over. I've been loving Andrade, you know, in his English promos these past couple of weeks. He's really kind of honed in on, like, his voice. Uh, finally, after all this time, and I think it's really working for him. The look is as great as ever. But last week, he had a great line about, like, stinging Darby Allen and wanting to buy the little kid <laughs> off of him. <laughs> Um, no follow up on on Sting and Darby Allen from Andrade this week. Yeah, I'm again. I'm really wondering if that whole 
you know, ta- uh, the, if the Phoenix injury has really thrown the tag team picture into disarray, right? It's entirely possible that we might have had mm. Sting and Darby, you know, or just Darby himself getting into something with uh, Andrade. But now uh, Sting and Darby have been pressed uh, in, into other circumstances there. Am I crazy? Did we not already get some talent exchanges between Andrade and FTR. the Hardy Family Office last year? Or am I getting that conflated with MJF? You, it might be MJF, yeah. I'm, I, uh, did, did he borrow? Like, who would have he have borrowed the Butcher? The yeah, I feel like he borrowed one, one or both of Butcher and the Blade from Hardy for one of his matches with Cody or something. I could be wrong, well, but I just it feels like something we've seen before. But either to way, me, you, you know, you can make a deal with whoever. You can certainly go back and make a deal with the person that you might have made a deal with before, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing for me was just that if this is, you know, and it seemed the last image there is of, you know, private party being a little bit peeved that, you know, Matt's going to go off and, you know, have a party without them. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, they're not being done any party favors, perhaps, uh, by Matt. So again, I'm not leaving the stupid puns aside. Uh, if this does split, you know, private party off from Hardy, I'm fine with that. In our main event, we have up next for the interim TNT championship, Sammy Guevara versus Daniel Garcia. And out to present the title to the winner is David Crockett again. Third time, I think. Yeah. Does this man just travel with this belt? Does this belt come with a David Crockett for presentation? Is that what's happening here? I don't know. Maybe he's just not, you know, the retirement isn't suiting him well. You know, he's not into building model ships or something. And he just has to keep, you know, you know, you can't quit the business. Who knows? These two are incredibly scrappy to start here. Um, Kingston and Jericho are, of course, ringside. They're yelling at each other. But, you know, it's it's a very quick, it's a very technical, and I would say very even match between the two. There's uh, some spectacular dives, double jump dives from Sammy Guevara. Uh, the GTH is reversed to a sharpshooter. Guevara eventually points to the camera as he hits the crossroads, just sending a bit of a message to the actual TNT champion, uh, it, it didn't look that clean, but that's okay. We got the idea here. Gets a two count for it. Sammy hits another double jump. This time, Garcia catches him in a sleeper hold, turns it into a bully choke, and then a pile driver, but Sammy kicks out at two. I don't know if this was the case on your clock, um, uh, Bruce, but for me, they certainly went past the 10 o'clock hour here. I, I don't know if that was the case for other people, or maybe my feed was just a bit late. I think it was right on the button for me. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe it was just me then. Uh, at this point, 2.0 arrive to ringside. They jump Kingston and Jericho. Garcia, like Matt Lee is doing something on the apron and Garcia is shoved into him. And then it leads right into the GTH as Sammy Guevara uh, retains the interim TNT championship. Thoughts on the match? Um, obviously got very complex at the end and obviously the post-match angle, you know, kind of spins out of that. But Really, for me, more than anything, this was just a showcase of what an incredible talent, specifically Daniel Garcia, is. Like, if you look at where this guy was a year ago, right? He had a one-off lost lost to Taylor Rust on NXT. You know, he was in, like, you know, violence and suffering uh, cards. When I saw, you know, as much of the uh, the Mania Weekend indie shows as I watched last year, you know, he and Lee Moriarty were by far and away, far and away, you know, the most polished and promising prospects there you know this is you know this is a main event match in prime time national television for the guy and it feels absolutely deserved this was by far and away the best match uh on the show 
um, specifically that one sharpshooter that he just really, really cranked on and leaned into, almost even trying to like lean over and, you know, grab Sammy's arms with his own arms. That and then the bully choke into the pile driver were just, you know, these are just kind of fundamental wrestling moves, but they're delivered with just such meanness and grit uh, and grime. You know, he just comes off uh, like somebody who just, you know, is fights people because he's angry fights people because he likes fighting like he just has this very although he's you know he's relatively small in stature just has this real sort of like throwback gritty even back to like the 1950s or something like that just angry mean brutal sadistic pro wrestling style while still really clearly communicating you know just strong fundamental wrestling work so yeah real hats off to garcia for i think really you know hitting it out of the park when he needed to what did you think of the addition of Dynamite overall? Um, overall, uh, you know, until the last match, uh, you know, I felt like this was a very storyline uh, heavy match, you know, rather than in ring, which is fine. But, you know, as we've been saying at a couple of points uh, over the last hour away, we kept not only seeing, you know, a number of uh, run ins and interruptions in ring, but also backstage as well, um, you know, which can get a little bit confusing, even for, you know, a diehard AEW viewer like myself. Like I said, I'm having difficulty remembering right now, apart from the tag match, what's happening on Dynamite uh, or next week. So, you know, like we were saying, I do feel like the pace here could have been slowed down on the out-of-ring stuff uh, a little bit. But, you know, I like the fact, at the same by the same token, that a show like this is one that reminds you that everybody in this show, whether it's, you know, Pac or Kingston all have multiple relationships and complex relationships with a whole range of different people. You know, nobody here is just maybe apart from deep cheetah sequestered off into like a locked room with just this one person. And that's all you're going to do uh, for the next six months, you know, with Kingston and Malachi Black, you can kind of go anywhere with them. We see a lot of flexibility with the tag picture. Uh, you know, this is to kind of bring it back to Crockett. It's kind of classic Crockett NWA booking in that everybody was reminding you of the multiple feuds they might have in promos. And to be frank, something like this is kind of smart when you don't just have injuries like we saw last week, but also the possibility of, you know, COVID just taking one or two or three of your major competitors out and having to sort of rebook on the fly having everybody sort of spinning multiple plates simultaneously is maybe smart in the long run, even if it does occasionally make a show like this one feel a little bit cramped and rushed at times. Yeah. I do think there's a very delicate balance between, you know, making perhaps your world feel realistic and having more than one particular opponent focused on you at the, at the same time at one time. And, you know, managing to, to be able to create a very clear narrative for your audience to follow and 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 I, I I just wonder if like you know in particular I think AEW does really well with its main programs you know like when it's CM Punk versus Wardlow like or CM Punk versus MJF I mean it's very clear well, like you know what's happening every single match feels like it's leading towards one particular direction and and it's great um you know even when it comes to what is this now like you know the best friends versus the the super elite it's it's very clear what's going on there but then like 
when you're trying to get off, you know, like uh, like uh, um, uh, trying to start off like a Malachi Black and 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 Brody King thing, I thought it it got to be a little bit much towards the end when you're start piling in, you know, uh, the, a Penta program along with a Pack program on, on top of it. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, it, it, and, and I think, you know, maybe when you're starting off, it's going to feel a bit messy and, 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 can, um, you know, a bit looser, uh, with, with so many pieces that, that you're trying to, you know, put together. But, um, for me, maybe it's the lack of star power that doesn't put, um, you know, some of these names in the forefront as much as the CM Punk versus MJF. But I do feel like this is a show that could use, maybe a bit more um, clarity. We also have, you know, Statlander doing something with Layla Hirsch at the same time mm-hmm, as she's mm-hmm. doing something with Britt Baker. Um, and maybe it'll all tie together eventually. Uh, and, but, you know, like like you're saying, Bruce, maybe certain audiences that are watching these shows don't mind that, all that at all. So uh, it, 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 it's it's going to be a bit different. I thought overall this edition of Dynamite was, you know, pretty, pretty average, pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it moved some pieces along, uh, some decent wrestling, but, not necessarily anything that I think was as standout as some of the previous weeks, mm-hmm. but of course the main event. Yes, I agree with you. was very good. Let's go to the feedback here. Feedback dot or sorry, form dot dot com. And uh, would you like to read with me, Bruce? Or, or yeah, would you... absolutely. Yeah, perfect. So let's go back and forth here. I'm going to start here with Johnny Sanchez, who says this was a pretty average dynamite which isn't a bad thing not every episode should be big matches and this felt like a nice beginning for new feuds the tag division felt like the big focus with multiple backstage and post-match focuses on several teams from ftr red dragon dark order and the house new and the fresh house of black i've been waiting for weeks for brody king to arrive and he's finally here i have to give tk credit to have a show where you can confidently book two young talents that were built primarily in your promotion to main event is commendable must make booking easier to know that anyone, any combination can be a viable main event. I've also noticed noticed more video packages in the TBS era so far. Mm. Do you think the change of station could have offered an opportunity to change Dynamite's structure? Did you feel that way, Bruce? I did. There were the number of video packages, you know, and, and again, some of them were really good, right? The Pac one, I liked the, you know, uh, the, the Wardlow as Maestro one, you know, I never thought I'd think of Wardlow and, you know, Herbert Von Karrion in the same sentence. I like those little things, but, you know, again, if it's just a case of, I think there's a difference between those sorts of vignettes and just backstage promo, backstage promo, interruption of backstage promo, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I haven't noticed much in the way of like, conscious aesthetic change in terms of like you know the opening video package or you know the ring or the lights or 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 graphics or anything like that i haven't really noticed anything there um i would hope that there wouldn't be a conscious decision to do more backstage or or non-in-ring stuff because of the network change but you know i'm not really in on the uh the, the very subtle differences between tbs and tnt yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to think that there would be any sort of difference just simply because of of, of them changing stations uh, owned by the same company. Um, I, I really haven't noticed uh, too much, you know, like uh, we do know, of course, like Keith Mitchell was no longer part of the broadcast, like he ended last year. But that to me hasn't seemed to make any sort of difference in in in, in, uh, in the production. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we go now to Muggin, who says the theme of loyalty ran rampant throughout tonight's Dynamite. The coal Red Dragon Bucks tension got cranked up. Wardlow MJF is getting increasingly strained because of the former's growing independence. And the inner circle is caught in the middle of two type A's in Jericho and Kingston. Yes. Uh, Brody King, excuse me, Brody King made a strong debut and it was the most noteworthy thing to come out of this show. Deep Sheeta was more of an angle than a match. I think a lights out match needs to be the outcome. Yeah. Uh, Punk did his best to get Wardlow over and that tease of Wardlow turning on MJF was so sweet. Is it me or does Punk have to jump through the hoops to, uh, to get to Friedman almost similar to the labors of Jericho last year? Yeah, I think we had somebody in the chat mention the five labors of Punk uh, earlier on. It very much feels that way right now, Way. Yeah, exactly. We got a Jay from Colorado who says, as JR said at one point in the broadcast, this show has something for everyone. As usual, I was completely entertained from the beginning of the show to the end. While not every segment landed completely... I can appreciate them trying new things without shoving them down our throats. Stories are progressed thoughtfully, characters are built in a meaningful way, and I'm given a reason to watch next Friday and next week. TK knows how to book and hook an audience, no pun intended. I can't say how much I appreciate a wrestling product that doesn't waste my time nor intelligence. Quick question. When the eventual Bucks vs. Undisputed Era feud takes place, do you see that as the catalyst for Kenny Omega's return to feud with Adam Cole? Absolutely. Yes. Um... I think that would be wonderful. That would be a dream feud. Kenny's got no short, you know, a very long line of dance partners whenever he does come back. But yeah, Cole has to be, unless we're getting some sort of, you know, crazy thing, uh, you know, with crossover with New Japan or whatever, I have to think the Cole match is going to be very, very high on that list. Uh, Brian is up next, who says, I thought the matches overall were fine, but what really got me excited was the build for the future. The eventual collision between the Young Bucks and Red Dragon with Adam Cole stuck in the middle, uh, or is he? Warlord about to go nuclear in the middle of the MJF Punk feud. Brody King joining Malachi Black. Lance Archer is an unexpected new challenger for Adam Page. I'm liking the Jericho Kingston turmoil more than I thought. Staying in the present, I thought it was very cool to see Dr. Dr. Baker join her baby in the ring and mixed up with his crew. I wish she and Deeb had a more complete match, but I thought Deeb was fantastic in her actions. I thought the main event was strong outside of the clunky GTH. Yeah, last last little GTH was a bit sloppy, but we'll, we'll give him a pass. Adam from the street says it looks like MJF is doing the five labors of punk. Should MJF make some calls to get Mike Jackson and Mickey Gall, uh, who are of course his two uh, UFC opponents, as well as check in on Dark Order's Boom Boom Colt Cabana? I thought MJF was going to announce Colt tonight. Should Cabana and Punk main event Chicago in February? No, I don't think so. Uh, that's uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that. One. Uh, yeah, who knows? Like backstage, what what those two are are, are dealing with, and it's like. I, I I wouldn't want them to, you know. I would hope, certainly hope that they they can get their personal issues uh, set aside before we see anything on screen uh, between the two of them uh, for there's our been, entertainment. Yeah, there's been one brief, brief, brief mention of it in a Dark Order skit on uh, being the elite, but that's it. I mean, hell, if we're if we're going down that road, you know, what about CM Venom? What's he up to? Uh, MJF. I, I, I would even <laughs> argue that like if MJF announced Cole Cabana versus Punk, like that kind of. <laughs> MJF versus uh, Punk is definitely the feud, but if there's a match out there that like make the audience actually more interested, it might be CM Punk versus Cole Cabana. So, and, and that's not the point of the gimmick. The point of the gimmick is to continually disappoint you so you don't see MJF versus Punk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, MJ from NJ says, on Archer, what a great person to have on a roster who you can always reset as a monster heel for a babyface champion to conquer. This is a great example of utilizing talent to their strengths and how protecting them can maximize value of a roster spot. 
He's lost three or four title matches in AEW, I believe, but he's still a great opponent to feed a champion. Testament to performer and boomer, uh, or booker, I'm assuming he means. Excited to see him back. Yeah, very much in line with my thoughts. We get a Vic who says, Was attendance for the show bad? The crowd lighting looked unusually dark this episode. Uh, I haven't looked up the uh, attendance, but I can I can uh, check that. It the did list. look darker than usual. The second and third levels looked. I, I was th- I was wondering the same thing. Vic says having the Wardlow and Hobbs matches back to back was a bad idea, as the scenarios were similar. Yeah, we pointed that out too. Where's Leo Rush? Him and Dante have had had a great tag match, and then he just disappeared. At least they found Jay Lethal. Brody King is an awesome big man. Hopefully he doesn't get lost in the shuffle with Pack and Archer coming back and a ton of free agents out there. I hope they can find time with everyone. Rampage this week looks completely missable, but hopefully they surprise us. Lastly, we go to Pete Forsberg, who says Adam Cole needs to lift some weights. Six foot tall, 200 pounds, build my ass. Great in-ring, good on the mic, but does look presentation not matter? People compare him to Shawn Michaels, but Michaels was taller and way more jacked and ripped. Cole is skinny fat with T-Rex arms. Ouch. Love your guys' work. Um, It's never been an issue for me with Cole. Um, I mean, sure, he could be a little bit more physically imposing, but... You know, I find the persona that he has and the in-ring style that he works, which is this very, you know, endurance based and very kind of like crafty and wily based. And, you know, in addition to to his technical acumen, that works for him, right? Like, you know, as somebody who just watched every single G1 match, I can tell you that barely anyone was more impressive in that whole tournament than, you know, the skinny noodle man, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, And he seemed entirely credible the whole way through because of the in-ring style he works. This isn't to say that looks, in my opinion, at least, that, you know, looks don't matter or don't have a place in pro wrestling. They they definitely do. It's an aesthetically driven uh, industry. But I feel as though as long as you have a wrestling style and your matches are presented in such a way that seems uh, semi-credible, in comportment with your style and, and appearance, I don't have any problem with it. Yeah, I'm totally the same, you know, especially when you're talking about an audience like AEW's who, uh, I mean, this, this whole, to me, independent pro wrestling revolution has been based off of cruiserweight sized men. Um, and for that matter, Adam Cole found plenty of success as a main eventer, even within the much, you know, criticized um, WWE um, that has always you know, applauded the, the big man. Like a Cole versus Johnny Gargano to me did not seem at all out of place as a main event on a takeover. And I don't think that'll be the case on, on a AEW, you know, uh, all out or, or whatever future pay-per-view that they do either. This is an audience that I think, you know, certainly values in ring ability in more, more importantly, I think um, microphone ability. And we know Adam Cole can make him sound, mm-hmm. make himself sound like a giant. So um, I, I'm not personally bothered or concerned about it at all. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got um, just a, from WrestleTix here, AEW Dynamite, uh, just a, a bunch of sections were taken off the map today. Uh, okay, so last check as of one day ago, this said 4,739 tickets distributed. I don't have a tally of the total, but um, I mean, that sounds pretty decent to me, actually. Mm. So. Here, look, look, uh, okay, so current setup for 7,000. Okay, so, and then they had about 4,700 distributed, which is about 66%. So maybe a little bit softer, but mm-hmm. um, I don't think it's that that out of line from from the norm, from my, my what I could tell. They have also been in North Carolina for a while now. I think this is what the third show 
consecutively in the state, something like that, maybe? I don't know. Mm. I could be wrong. All right. Uh, that kind of wraps it up for this edition of our Dynamite Review. Thank you so much, Bruce, for lending so much great insight. Uh, you, you're you a, a joy to speak to anytime we, <laughs> we need you. So hope to do more of these. Where can people find more of you and, and your work from the past weekend? Uh, yeah. Um, as we were talking about right off of the top, uh, you can look forward to a new episode of Postmarks dropping this Saturday, uh, in which myself and David Myers spoke with MJ from NJ. We had a really great conversation with him, really eager uh, for folks to be able to check that out. Uh, you know, I've done a little bit of writing recently uh, over at Post as well. I had a write-up of the um, Battle for the Belts show. Uh, I think my thoughts were more or less simpatico uh, with, with yours and John's, but I have a written report of that uh, up on the website. Um, besides that, I'm, I, I hope I remain a relatively light follow on Twitter at Contrasoma. That's C-O-N-T-R-A-S-O-M-A. Uh, it's also the same username on Grapple. If you want to see what sort of ratings I give to every single dark match, hell, it's the same username on like things like Untapped and Last FM as well. Uh, if you're interested in what I think of beer or what music I've been listening to. Uh, also, speaking of music, I should give a quick plug uh, for my kind of regular online gig, uh, which is idieudie.com. It's a website and podcast that I run with my good buddy Alex, uh, in which we write about and talk about uh, industrial music, goth music, EBM, and dark wave. Uh, and we have our We Have a Technical weekly podcast dealing with those sorts of genres. So a little bit on the niche side, but I do know that there are a good number of post listeners uh, who are into that sort of thing, and many of whom have gotten in touch with me, and that's wonderful. So on the off chance that you haven't checked it out, and that is your cup of tea, idieudie.com. And thank you very much, Alex, for sharing Bruce with us, because this is your <laughs> usual recording time for that podcast. Yeah. So we very much appreciate it. Thank you very much, Bruce, for joining us. And thank you, everybody in the Zoom chat, all you Double Double Plus patrons for joining us. Tomorrow, as I mentioned, it's the MMA Prediction Show with Ariel Hawani and John Pollock that airs 1 o'clock on the YouTube and will be available on the free feed uh, at about that same time, too. Got the British Wrestling Experience coming up. And then on Friday... It's the worst of. If you want to tune in live, that'll be Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time at youtube.com slash postwrestling. Otherwise, get that on Friday. So uh, that's it for the plugs. You can go back to the front of, of the show if you want to hear more. But And that's it for me until Friday. So until then, guys, talk to you later. <laughs>